Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a, that's a passage for us today. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2. So we'll be, we'll be doing Philippians 1, 2 today. I know this has been a, kind of a slow start through the book of Philippians, uh, but I promise you next week we're going to speed up. We're going to do all the way from verse 3 through 8 next week. So lightning pace. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Read the account of uh, another pastor who was um, uh, told this story on himself. He said, I was feeling quite sorry for myself that day when I boarded the airplane in Oakland for a flight to Southern California because I had been assigned a middle seat. I hate sitting in the middle seat. As others were coming down the aisle, I greeted an old friend who dropped down in the still empty aisle seat for a chat. A few moments later, a voice over the intercom said, if Mr. Harry Summer is aboard, would he please identify himself? My friend raised his hand, and the flight attendant came to him and said, Mr. Summer, your ticket is in first class today. Don't you want to come and take your seat in the forward cabin? He replied, No, I'd rather stay here with my first class friend. I smiled at the compliment and several of the passengers even applauded. Shortly, however, the attendant was back. Mr. Summer, the main cabin is full today, but there is plenty of room in first class. Won't you come and take your seat and bring your first-class friend with you? He goes on to say, So I got a reprieve that day from my middle seat in coach and rode in in first-class comfort with my friend. Later, I got to thinking about the incident. Why, that's just like what Jesus did for me. He left first-class And came to where I was sitting in my unpleasant place and took me with him to the best accommodations up front. A place especially prepared for me, which I had not even known about. And whenever I think again of that day, I smile and thank God for his grace toward me. His grace, of course, not just in that incident, but his grace in our lives. Paul says here, grace to you and peace from a God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that that exact phrase is used 12 times at the beginning of different New Testament letters. It's a very commonly in Paul especially, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And most of those books end with something like, uh, grace be with you all or grace be with your spirit. The idea is that from beginning to end, it's all about God's grace. But what does grace mean? Well, first of all, grace means gift. The actual word charis 
Grace is uh, one of the root words for gift. It's a, a grace gift. It's something which is undeserved, something which is unmerited, something which is freely bestowed. It is a gift. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. I don't know who came up with that acronym, but I love that. It's a good way to think of what grace is about. It is God's riches at Christ's expense. Ephesians chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 4 through 7 says, But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, in eternity future, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, we know know something of the riches of God's grace because of what he's done in our life. But we've only seen the proverbial tip of the iceberg. In the ages to come, he's going to disclose to us the riches of his grace. And grace truly is God's riches toward us at Christ's expense. That is that Christ died for us to have God's grace. Also, grace is God's unmerited favor. It's generally how theologians describe it briefly. It is God's unmerited favor. Not just his goodness, but his purposeful goodness to those who deserve nothing. Who do you give gifts to? People who are friends, uh, family, Loved ones, right? That's, those are the kinds of people that we give gifts to. But he gives his favor and his grace gift even to his enemies. As Romans 5 talks about us being his, we were enemies of the cross. We weren't just neutral, but enemies toward God at one time. And yet he gives his unmerited favor to us. And what does God's grace do? Well, first of all, grace is the origin of our salvation. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In Him, meaning in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. His grace is the origin of our salvation without his grace none of us could be saved and you're maybe more familiar with ephesians 2 8 for by grace we are saved through faith so it starts with god's grace operating in our lives by his grace he opens our eyes to our need for a savior 
and to understand his provision. And, and then also grace is the source of our spiritual growth. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ Jesus So not only are we saved by grace, but we grow by grace. This sanctifying grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, But the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's only by His grace that any of us are where we are. I love the testimonies both of Chris in Abstentia and Kristen this morning. Uh, both talked about uh, God's grace in their life and that they would not be where they were where it was it not for God's grace. Seeing them through, we, we live by His grace. Not only are we made alive by it, not only are we born again by it, but our lives are lived by grace. And so Paul says, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So even anything that I accomplish of any note, anything that's worthwhile, anything which is good in his eyes, all of that is by his grace. So it's the origin of our salvation. It's a source of our spiritual growth. And thirdly, grace is the provision for our, our daily victorious living. Second Corinthians 12, Paul was dealing with the thorn in the flesh, you may remember. And he said that he prayed three times for the Lord to remove this. And God said no. But he said My grace is sufficient for you. It is enough for you. In all your need, my grace is sufficient. You never run out of grace. There's not a a limited quantity of it. Um, Spurgeon said it would be similar to a fish in the ocean wondering, am I ever going to drink the ocean dry? And the Lord saying, no little fish, my oceans are sufficient for you. And so in our need, are we ever going to run out of God's goodness and grace to us? No, his grace is always sufficient. It's not always, not only always there, but it's all, always the thing that we need. My grace is sufficient for you. And he goes on to explain, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When we declare our own weakness, our own inability, when we humble ourselves, or sometimes when God humbles us, and we come to that point of the end of our rope and the end of our strength, then his strength is shown to be all that it can be. That's what it means by made perfect. Teleos, it's made complete. It's shown to be everything that it is when we admit our own weakness. <clears throat> I remember as, uh, as our children were growing up, we had, all of our children did this to some degree, but one child in particular 
when uh, he was trying to accomplish something which was beyond his level. And dad would try to step in to help him out. He would say, I do it myself. Maybe you've had a child like that. I I do it myself. And often he would then succumb to the need for dad to come open that jar or reach that thing up on high or lift that load that he couldn't. And, <clears throat> but he had to come to that point of uh, knowing, but he wanted to try to do it on his own. And so do we, right? So often we, we try to make it on our own, do it in our own strength, and God just lets us come to that point where we realize we need him and we find him always to be sufficient Always to be faithful. My grace is sufficient for you. Sam Gordon has this great quote on grace. He says, Grace gives us what we do not deserve and can never pay back. Grace stoops to where we are. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. You're familiar with the story of Amazing Grace and John Newton who wrote that. He was a a slave trader when God got a hold of his life. He thought he was going to die on a return trip, um, and as he was, he was down manning the pumps, uh, trying to keep the boat from sinking, God spoke to him at that time, and he gave his heart to the Lord, and he later became a, a well-known uh, pastor in England, and uh, he was known for his grace toward other people, but he is uh, probably best known for writing Amazing Grace. It was actually uh, a poem that he composed in um, January 3rd, 1773 to illustrate his New Year's sermon. He wrote the lyrics to Amazing Grace. It is the most well-known hymn across the world. Estimates are that it is sung or played at least 10 million times a year. I think we do our fair share here of that. (laughs) And how God has used that through time to remind us of God's amazing grace. I just want to think about this for a moment. Um, The lyrics, it's a little bit deeper. It's amazing grace because of my lost, hopeless condition. So John Newton wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Newton didn't think that he was some good guy who kind of deserved it, and he saw himself as a total loser. He didn't deserve anything but God's wrath, and so he calls himself, saved a wretch like me. I looked up uh, what this word meant. I consulted Noah to find out what Noah thought. Not Noah of the ark, Noah Webster. 
He says, a wretch is a miserable person, one who is profoundly unhappy, a base, vile, despicable person. I guess we could say, despicable me. That saved despicable me. Reminder of, of the fact that we, we don't merit God's grace in any way. And he goes on to say, I once was lost, but now am found. I, I was lost and without a way, but now I am found. Notice the passive there, I am found. It's not that we find God as if he's hiding from us, but that God finds us. We're the lost sheep that he seeks. I was lost in my sin, but God found me. I was, was lost, but now I'm found. I was, I was blind. I, I couldn't see God for who he was. I couldn't see me for who I was. I couldn't see the depth of my sin. I couldn't see the answer of salvation. I was blind, but by God's grace, now I see God Open my eyes to see him. God's grace is amazing because of its mighty work in me. And the song goes on to say, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." First of all, grace takes us to the point of fear. That is to when we were blind, but now we see. What do we see? We see God as holy, holy, holy. We, we see us as vile sinners. We, we understand our sin. We see the depth of our sin. We see the lostness of our condition. And so it was grace that taught my heart to fear. Woe is me. I am undone. Grace teaches my heart to fear. But grace, my fears relieved. God doesn't leave us there in our fear of, of eternal separation from Him. He shows that to us so that He can show us what He's provided to give us eternal life. So, grace taught my heart to fear, but grace my fears relieved. God's grace took away all fear of death and hell and separation from him, all fear is gone because he totally paid the whole price for my salvation. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Sometimes, you know, post-salvation, we get years past that, we forget how precious that grace was back then. But try to think back to when you were Saved, how precious that grace was the hour you first believed. So Paul says, grace to you. But not only that, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word grace was a common Greek or Gentile word for greeting. This is not unique to the New Testament or to the church. Uh, 
people of that day used it as a common greeting, grace to you. But the word peace was the typical Hebrew word for greeting. We know it as shalom. And so Paul in his letters often combine these two, grace and peace. Grace, the greeting for the Gentile believers, peace, shalom for the Jewish believers, but now they're one church together, not separate, Gentile and Jew, but one, and so grace and peace together. And it's not only grace and peace, but grace and then peace. Peace always follows grace. The idea of peace was a concept that the Roman Empire was very proud of as as if they were the ones who invented it. And from 30 B.C. to 250 A.D., Rome would boast that its emperors were the savior of the world and that they, the descendants of the gods, had brought peace to earth. In fact, just six years prior to Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians, the Roman statesman Seneca coined the phrase Pax Romana, which is Latin for Roman peace. They believed they had brought uniquely the peace to the world. But the emperor's peace had come at a steep price for those who supposedly enjoyed its fruits. There was political oppression, religious persecution, suffocating taxation, widespread slavery. It was all part of Rome's version of peace. And the people paid dearly for it. But listen to the gospel. The peace that comes from Jesus Christ comes at the expense of of Christ. It doesn't come through the death of subjugated people. It comes from his own death for us. He's the one who dies. He's the one who pays the price. He's the one who brings us peace. And the order of terms here is not coincidental. Grace and peace. First comes grace from God. And then comes peace from God and with God. Which is another way of kind of subtly saying to the Philippians and us that people cannot experience satisfying peace until they have received God's saving grace. First grace and then peace. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of God's gracious salvation, we have, therefore, we have peace with God. Colossians 1.20 says, And by him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Peace is also from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This is uh, Paul's way of reminding us of the equality of the Father and the Son. That grace is from both of them. They're, they're both deity. They're, both, they're equal in all respects. So grace and peace come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And also that true peace only comes to those who call God Father and call Jesus Lord. Isaiah 48, 22 said, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. But for those who come to God as their Father, those who acknowledge Jesus as their Lord, there is grace and peace. And Paul later in Philippians speaks of peace which surpasses all understanding that comes from our Savior. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. In other words, my peace is very different from the world's kind of peace. It's shallow and temporal peace that they offer you. But I offer you a settled, ongoing peace that even when things outside are tumultuous, you can know peace inside. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Therefore, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. We rely on and praise God for the peace that he brings. When uh, Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, you remember they were huddled up in the, in the upper room, uh, afraid to go out, and he suddenly appears to them, uh, even though all the doors and windows are barred and shut, he appears in their midst, and the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. Well, first of all, maybe to prevent heart attacks, peace be with you, it's okay. James Montgomery Boyce wrote that it was no coincidence that the first words of Jesus to his disciples after he rose from the, from the dead and met them in the upper room were, peace be with you. Imagine what he could have said to them. I thought you weren't going to abandon me. He could have said, what happened to you? You didn't even help bury me. He could have said, I poured three years of my life into you. I can't believe the ingratitude. And he could have said, and what about your faith? Where's Peter? You didn't even make it through the first night of trouble. Didn't any of you hear a word I said? Didn't I mean anything to you? He could have rightfully said any or all of those things, but instead he says, peace be with you. Peace? Yes, he had just paid for it. 
He brought peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most tragic stories to <clears throat> emerge from the world of sports was Junior Seau. Junior Seau was a well-known, passionate, emotional leader of the San Diego Chargers. He played middle linebacker with abandon. In his 13-year career as an NFL player, he made the the Pro Bowl, 12 of those 13 years. He was named to the All-Decade Team, All-Pro Team. His, his uh, career had been one victory after another after another. And on May 2, 2012, at the age of 43, Junior Seau took his own life. In an interview with Sports Illustrated, his former teammate and friend Rodney Harrison transparently revealed that in Seau's last days, he was desperately searching for peace. And he goes on to describe, to describe Seau's yearning for peace, searching for it, and he could not find it anywhere. And he ended up taking his own life. I find it interesting that in John 20, 21, where Jesus says, peace be with you, the very next thing he says in the same verse, in the same breath, so to speak, he says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. In other words, this message of peace this message of grace and peace is not something that we're supposed to sit on. It's something to be taken out there. He wanted them to go out of that upper room and tell others. He wants us to go out of this room and share that with others, the peace that God can bring to their lives. Take it out there, Jesus effectively says. I've won the victory, now go tell them. And around you, there are people who seem to be winning, seem to be doing fine in life, seem to be prosperous perhaps, but inside they are in despair. They're troubled and hurting. They're thirsty for answers. They're despairing and needy and lost and guilty and beaten down. And without hope. They need to know. The victorious news of genuine grace. And lasting peace. They need to hear from you. How they can have grace and peace. When God is their father. And Jesus is their Lord. I'd like the praise team to worship team to come up as we're going to close with a song that encourages us in this area. And so for, 
for you and I, Paul writes, grace and peace be to you. Grace and peace be with you. To God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that you have his grace and peace right now. If you don't, if you're if you don't have that, then please talk with me. I'd be glad to tell you how you can know his grace and peace in your life. And are you willing to take that message to others and let them know?